Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. It's the podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the book of 2 Corinthians. Today is episode 509. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 5 through 10. Let's read our passage. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you fail the test? And I hope that you will recognize that we ourselves do not fail the test, but we pray to God that you do nothing wrong, not that we may appear to pass the test, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear to fail. For we can't do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We rejoice when we are weak and you are strong. We also pray that you become fully mature. This is why I'm writing these things while absent, so that when I am here, I may not have to deal harshly with you in keeping with the authority the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. This is 2 Corinthians. Paul sending this letter to the church in Corinth. Titus is going to take it down there. Titus has just been down there with the tearful letter trying to bring about reconciliation with Paul because of the disastrous visit that he had made down there. And mostly at work, Titus was able to along with Paul's letter, to bring about repentance on the part of most of the church. But there's still some holdouts, still some problems, still some rampant immorality in the church, and still these false teachers that are running amok and leading the people astray. Paul's wrapping his letter up here. He's been talking about his third visit. He's going to come. And his goal in this letter is to get things fixed before he comes so he doesn't have to lay down the law, and lead the church into exercising discipline when he's down there. He had just said, this is my third visit coming up, and I will not be lenient. He's telling them, I'm going to deal with things if you haven't dealt with them before I get there. Now, he's been responding to this challenge, basically, that Paul prove that Christ is in him. And this section, Paul's turning that around, saying, well, You guys better look inside yourselves and prove to yourselves that Christ is actually in you, because that's what is really important here. So he begins in verse 5. He says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you yourselves not recognize that Christ is in you, unless you fail the test? So two imperatives, commands here, test yourselves and examine yourselves. So test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. So he's calling for some self-examination here. Make sure that you are in the faith. Don't convince me you're in the faith, but convince yourself. Make a a self-assessment here. Are you really in the faith? That is, are you really a follower of Christ? And and he follows that up with pretty much saying the same thing again. Examine yourselves. So first he said, to see if you're in the faith. Now he says, or do you not recognize that Christ Jesus is in you? Now, the way this is worded, it's not that he doubts they're really followers of Christ, but he's basically telling them to do some introspection because they've got some issues. They've got some problems. They've been led astray by these false teachers. They're still putting up with a lot of immorality and falling into these things. And so the challenge for them is, are you really, really followers of Christ? So you better determine that yourselves. And the challenge is, hopefully you can recognize that in yourselves, that you are followers of Christ. At least you are, unless you fail the test, because you need to test yourself. 
Now, it's an interesting question. What would be a test to see if you're really a follower of Christ? If so, I would challenge you, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. What would that test look like? Is it multiple choice, 50 questions? We know that's not the case, but what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Well, it means basically, are we following Christ? That's the biggest test right there. If you think you're a follower of Christ, the, the biggest test is to step back and look at your life and say, am I actually following Christ? Because if I'm not following Christ, then I may not actually be a follower of Christ. What am I looking to for my source of truth? Am I just depending on what I know to be true, what I think to be true, what I want to be true, or am I depending on the Word of God? Am I really trusting Christ for my eternity, or am I trusting in my own good works and abilities? And so those are the kind of tests to, to look at. It's a good thing to do periodically, to examine yourself. And some of it is, am I a follower of Christ? But the other question goes along, how well am I following Christ? Not that we're on a performance basis, but am I following Christ the way I should be? Or do I need to alter some things to more closely follow Christ? So he challenges them to examine themselves. Then in verse 6 he says, and I hope you will recognize that we ourselves do not fail the test. And there's a, a challenge here that basically by the same standards you would apply to yourselves determine are you following Christ? If you would apply those standards to us, you'll see that, yeah, we're, we're followers of Christ too. We don't have to prove anything to you. What you should see is Christ at work in us. Now, verse 7, he says, but we pray to God that you do nothing wrong. And so here he's bringing it back to behavior. And it's, it's not to earn your salvation, but just praying that they will actually behave right. Do what is right. It's a real challenge here because they, they've got some problems. Uh, with their, their morality is messed up. Their falling for the false teachers is, is messed up. And so they need to do what is right here. And he says, we're praying that you are going to do that. Now, this second half of the verse looks odd. We, you know, he says, we, we pray to God that you do nothing wrong. Not that we may appear to pass the test, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear to fail. Now, it's worded awkwardly just because it gets translated, but I think what he's really saying here is dealing with appearances. We don't want you to just do what's right for the sake of appearances. I don't want you to do what's right for the sake of our appearances. We want you to do what's right, even if, based on appearances, it doesn't look like we are doing right, that you're doing right because it's the right thing to do, regardless of how we look, in regards to how you think you want to look, we want you to do what is right. And he breaks back to himself in verse 8, for we can't do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. Now, the truth is important here because the truth is the basis of his ministry. He's already challenged them about following these false apostles. He calls the super apostles who are presenting a false Jesus, a false gospel, a false spirit. He says, but We've got the truth on our side, and that's what we're dedicated to. We may not be impressive. We may not have all the uh, bells and whistles of these super apostles, but the one thing we do have is the truth, and that's what was really needed. And we can't do anything other than follow the truth here. Now, verse 9, we rejoice when we are weak 
and you are strong. We also pray that you become fully mature. Paul's talked a lot about his weakness. The super apostles, they're just so special and, and talented and great and wonderful. And he says, we're weak because Christ is special and wonderful. And so we don't need to be. We're weak and allow him to work through us. Now, this whole thing shouldn't rejoice when they're weak too. Well, I think it's a little play here of thinking that being strong means, I think, to be able to do the right thing in face of everything they're up against. They would be strengthened by Christ to do the right thing. So we're weak, but you're strong. That is, we want you to do the right thing. And we also pray that you'll become fully mature. Some versions translate this basically as to for your restoration. The whole point there is we want you to get better than what you are now. When we all need that. Are any of us as mature as we could be? No. Are any of us fully mature? No. Do any of us not need to mature more? Well, we all need that. So they especially need it, but we all need that. We all need to grow in our maturity. Question, how do you do that? Well, it begins with submission. It begins with an attitude and an admission that uh, I'm not everything I think I am. I'm not as special as I think I am. And I still have a ways to go. And the way I'm going to get there is by submitting to God, by asking him to reveal things to me, to show me where I'm wrong, to show me where I need to make adjustments by looking to the, the word of God and seeing where it guides me and how it can form my opinions and values. He caps it off here in verse 10. This is why I'm writing these things while absent, so that when I am there, I might not have to deal harshly with you in keeping with the authority the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. What he's saying here is, I would really like for you guys to fix these problems before I get there, so that I can spend my time building you up versus dealing with discipline, having to deal with problems. I'd rather help you get better, help you grow in maturity, help you do the right thing, help you grow in your knowledge and wisdom of the Lord versus having to deal with a bunch of stubbornness, a bunch of sin, a bunch of, well, the things he said he was afraid he was going to come into, the quarreling, jealousy, angry outbursts, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. And rather than dealing with that, I'd love to help you grow in your relationship with God. That's why I'm writing this letter. Fix these big problems that are still outstanding. Do I expect perfection? No. But we got some big problems that need to get fixed. And if you can fix them before I get there, then it'll go a whole lot better and we can grow a whole lot more in the Lord. Well, this is the end of the, the guts of the letter, so to speak. We have one more section that we'll deal with next time to finish 2 Corinthians. And that's pretty much just the closing statements. So this wraps things up for him as far as the guts of the letter. And he lays it down here. Why is he writing this letter? Because there's still some big, outstanding issues that really need to get dealt with. And he really wants them to deal with these things before he gets there. So he's put them in the letter and he's sending them with Titus. They know Titus. Apparently they like Titus. 
and Titus gets along well with them. Titus had great success when he took the tearful letter and was able to guide the church in a whole time of, of repentance, of a restoration relationship with Paul. There's still some holdouts, but now Titus goes back and with the church that's already turned around, hopefully for the, the biggest part, Titus can guide the church to resolve these big outstanding issues so that when Paul gets down there, they can actually then have a time of building up, of growing in the faith, and becoming more mature. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time we finish up 2 Corinthians.